You're listening to audio from Queen City Church. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message will encourage you and offer practical steps for a relationship with God that keeps getting better and better. Today we are in week two of a series that we're calling the greatest sermon of all time. And every year around this time of the year leading up to Easter, which by the way is only six very short weeks away. And Easter around here is a very big deal because it's the biggest celebration of the whole year where we get to celebrate our risen King Jesus. And uh, every year leading up to Easter, we do a series where we focus on Jesus. And maybe you're new to our church or maybe even like today, this is your very first time at our church. And maybe you're wondering like, what is this church all about? I wanna make sure you know why we do a series like this leading up to Easter every single year because we are a church that is unapologetically all about Jesus. Like that is who we are. In fact, we have 10 values as a church and these 10 values answer the question, what makes us uniquely us? So in other words, it's like our church's DNA. And those 10 values can be listed in a lot of different ways. In fact, if you go look around the campus, you'll see signs that have our values. But what I ask the team to do is that no matter the order that we have, the first one always needs to be this one. Jesus is our message. No matter what, that is one of our 10 values as a church, that Jesus is our message. Listen, our message is not behavior modification. Our message is not self-help. Our message is not opinion. Our message is, and it always will be Jesus. Can I get an amen from the church on that? That's our message. That's our value, that Jesus is our message. And in this series, as we're looking at the life of Jesus, we're actually taking a deep dive look into the Sermon on the Mount, which is the largest and most famous teaching of Jesus in the entire Bible. It actually covers three chapters in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter five, six, and seven. And this, in my humble yet accurate opinion, it is the greatest sermon of all time. When it comes to sermons, this is the goat. It is the greatest sermon of all time. And if you remember, from last week, we talked about the fact that the Sermon on the Mount is a king establishing his kingdom through his people. That's really the point of these three chapters. That's the point of this message that Jesus preaches is that it is a king, not not just a man, not just a teacher. This is a king and he's establishing his kingdom through his people. And like all kingdoms, his kingdoms has certain rights and responsibilities. I have a very good friend right now that is going through the process of becoming an American citizen. And I know that there's people within our church that have actually gone through that process. And if you go through that process, what you have to do is that you have to learn and actually take a test on the rights and the responsibilities of American citizens. Like you have to learn rights like the right to free speech, and religious freedom and the right to assembly. You have to learn not just rights, but also responsibilities. Responsibilities like obeying laws and paying taxes, voting, defending the nation. And listen, just like the United States has rights and responsibilities, the kingdom of God has rights 
and responsibilities. And just like the United States has the Constitution, so important, the kingdom of God has the Sermon on the Mount. That's why this sermon is so important, because it literally is the Constitution of the kingdom of God. And it's the king that is rolling out these rights and responsibilities of his kingdom. And throughout all three chapters, you need to know, we talked about this last week, but I just want to remind you, the big idea of the Sermon on the Mount is that the key to accessing the kingdom of God is repentance. That is what this message is all about, that the key to accessing this kingdom is actually repentance. And for many of you, maybe that word has some bad PR attached to it. Maybe that's a really negative word. Maybe when you think of that word repentance, it stirs up like feelings of guilt or judgment, like somebody pointing a finger at you or accusation, but that's not what it means. In fact, if you go to the original language, like that word repent, it literally means to change your mind. That's what it means. So when you read that in the Bible and it says to repent, it literally means to change your mind about a subject and not just change your mind, but you change your mind at such a deep internal level that actually changes your direction. So I was thinking this way, but God did a deep work and I'm saying, no, I'm going to change my mind and now I'm going to go this way. That's what that word means. And that's the whole, that's the, that, that is the key to accessing the kingdom of God. Bruce Wilkerson, he put it this way, repentance means you change your mind so deeply that it changes you. And in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, of that kingdom, but let God transform you into a new person. How? By repenting by changing the way you think. What I love about this verse is that it says the way that you actually transform into a new person is not something you do on the outside, it's something that you do on the inside. That the way that you actually change your life is not you change your behavior, you change your thoughts and then you let that change at such a deep internal level that then it changes you from the inside out. Let me say it this way, that the way to change your life is repentance. And by the way, I believe that this discipline of repentance that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount should not be a one-time thing. This should be something that is actually a daily discipline in the life of every single believer. That just like every single day, we need to connect with God. That we need to open up God's word and let him speak to us. That we need to pray. That we need to do things like we're doing right now and gathering together as the church and experience the presence and the power of God. Just like we need to give and we need to serve all these amazing disciplines these spiritual disciplines that God gives us that we need to also repent. That needs to be part of a daily discipline that we do, that we should be able to change our minds every single day and line up to God's way. See, repentance is not just something we do once at salvation. It's something that we should do every single day, that every day, guys, we should take this posture that we see in Psalm 139 in 23 and 24, where it says, search me, God. And when you know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me 
and lead me in the way everlasting to come before God and say, is there anything every single day that I need to repent from, that I need to line up toward your ways and I need to change my thinking in this. And by the way, the more I've studied this, and I've been, I've been really like learning a lot about this over the past few months, getting ready for this series. And the more I've learned, the more that I am convinced, I, I'm heart and soul, that repentance is so stinking important. And here's one of the thousands reasons of why. Because repentance and revival go hand in hand. I believe it with all my heart. And if you want to experience revival, whether you want to experience revival just in your personal life, or if you want to be a part of something that people look and say, man, that revival is happening in Cincinnati. Revival is happening in that church, which I'm telling you, there is nothing inside of me that, that doesn't not want to experience that. Like I want to experience a move of God that only he can get credit for. That it's not about my name or our church's name. It's not about anything. It is about God, would your kingdom come and your will be done in Cincinnati as it is in heaven. And just what if we got to experience something like that? And I want to so bad. And I'm telling you, repentance and revival go hand in hand. It is connected. In fact, Frank Bartleman, he put it this way, that the depth of our repentance will determine the depth of our revival. And then Steve Camp, he said this. I thought this is so brilliant. He said, prayer is the burden of revival. And repentance is actually the breakthrough of revival. Evangelism, people being reached for God, people coming to know Jesus as their Savior is the blessing of revival. And holiness, living for God, is the bounty of revival. Listen, revival doesn't start when a bunch of lost people get saved. Revival starts when the people of God repent. And the big idea of this Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon of all time, the very foundation of the Sermon on the Mount is repentance. And last week, if you were here, we talked about the very first section in the Sermon on the Mount, which is known as the Beatitudes, where Jesus, he redefines happiness and he really challenges us to repent, to change our minds about where we find true and lasting happiness. And then right after he finishes the Beatitudes, he changes the subject and he begins to talk about where we should find our identity. And so today, if you're taking notes, I, I want to talk to you about a message I've just simply entitled Salt and Light. Salt and light. We're going to read this of what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13. And he says this, starting in verse 13, that you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it, is, if, if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. And in these four verses, in the greatest sermon of all time, he says, this 
is who you are. He says, this is your identity. And he says two different things. He says first that you are the salt of the earth. That's what he starts out by saying. In verse, in verse 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, how many of you, by show of hands, uh, you would say that you are uh, a sweet tooth? How many of you are, are sweet tooth? Like, when it, like you're, you're, you love the sweets, do that. Yeah, me too. How many of you are, are the salt people? Like, you just like it salty. Okay, look at your neighbor with the hands rub and just say, you're salty. Okay, just do that. My oldest son, Jordan, uh, who's 11, he loves salt. Like, he'll take salt over sweet every single time. His favorite foods, no joke, if you want to bless him, you just get him McDonald's french fries. God is good, okay? Lay's chips, the plain, just plain. And then microwave popcorn. You do that, and you are that boy's best friend. All the son loves salt. But it's important for you to know that when this was written, when Jesus said like, hey, you are the salt of the earth, that salt at that time was one of the most important and most valuable resources on the planet. And one of the many reasons why it was such an important thing is because salt could be used for so many different things. In fact, in my research for this message, I found out that there are over 14,000 uses for salt. Now, I don't have time to be able to go over in detail all 14,000 uses, but if I could sum it up, it would be this, is that salt just simply makes things better. In so many different ways, salt just makes things better. For example, salt heals, uh, salt melts, we know that full well in winter, salt seasons, like it makes things taste better and adds flavor to life. But the primary thing that salt did over 2,000 years ago when Jesus said these words in the Sermon on the Mount was that salt actually preserved food. At that time in the first century, I don't know if you know this, but they didn't have refrigerators and freezers. So the way that they kept food, primarily meat, from spoiling and going bad was salt. That's because salt is a preservative. That's why whenever that McDonald's French fries, it drops into the, the, the crack of the, the seat and goes down the bottom like 10 years later, it still looks the exact same way. It's because it has a lot of preservatives in it. It's a lot of salt in there. Because salt, it's a preservative. It keeps things from, from spoiling, from going bad, at least slows it down. And um, that's also one of the reasons why beef jerky does not spoil. So, like, um, if we ever find ourselves in an apocalyptic situation, uh, if you've ever thought about this, just go directly to the gas station and load up on as many Slim Jims <laughs> as you can. Because these bad boys will not go bad. Uh, because they have been preserved by salt. In fact, I look at the nutritional contents and... Um, 39% of your daily sodium intake is right here in this little meat tube right here, okay? Does uh, anybody like Slim Jims? Would anybody like this? Do this. You, young lady, right here. Okay, you ready? You ready? You, you got to pay attention. You got to sit up in church, okay? Here we go. You ready? There you go. There you go. I'm so glad you're here. And um, <laughs> hey, hold that up. Hold that up real high. Hold that up real high, real high. Okay, here's what Jesus says when you're the salty earth. He said, you are the, you are the slim gem in the kingdom of God, people. Thank you, thank you, thank you. 
Salt preserves things. So when Jesus says, hey guys, you are the salt of the earth, he's saying this. He's saying you are made by God to be someone who preserves the things of God. Like you're made by God to preserve his ways, his life, his character, his values, his priorities, his beliefs, his word of God, his church. Like you are made to do that everywhere you go, not just in church buildings, but you, you should be the church everywhere you go, at your job, at your school, in the marketplace, in your home, in your neighborhood, in grocery stores, in coffee shops, on social media, you should be the salt of the earth, preserving the things of God and living a life that reflects the kingdom of God. I love what the message paraphrase says. In the same verse, here's what the message says. It says, let me tell you why you are here, Queen City Church. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. Now, all week long, as I was studying this message, and when I got to this part, that you are the salt of the earth, I couldn't stop thinking about the next part of verse 13. Because honestly, I haven't heard a whole lot of teaching on the back half of that verse. I've heard a lot about the front half, but not the back half, where Jesus says this, where he says, but what good is salt if it lost its flavor? And can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Like, what is that about? And Jesus actually talks about this in a very similar way in Luke chapter 14, in verse 34 and 35, where he says, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. And so like reading that, it really made me think a lot this week. And it led me to ask the question, like, can salt actually lose its flavor? Can salt lose its saltiness. I'm, I'm, I'm no chemist. I'm a pastor. And so I did what all men of God do when you're thinking about something like this. You go to Google. And I typed in that, that, that sentence, like, can salt lose it? And really, at the end of the day, there's a whole bunch of stuff you can read. But I found that there was two main ways that salt can actually lose its saltiness. And the first is that it can become diluted. So for example, if I took a spoonful of salt and I put it in a cup this size of water, I mean, the salt, the, the taste of the salt would be very pungent, right? But if I took that same amount of salt, took that handful of salt, that spoonful of salt, and I threw it in uh, Lake Michigan, like it wouldn't be as pungent because it would be diluted in all the water, correct? But the other way is what really caught my attention. Because the other way that salt can actually lose its saltiness is that when it becomes mixed with impurities. And as I started thinking about this, I started researching and reading, and I found this sentence, and it absolutely wrecked me. Because this is what I found, and this, this absolutely wrecked me, that when salt loses its saltiness, it has the ability to preserve, season, and save everything except itself. In other words, that salt is a preservative that can save a whole bunch of stuff, but it cannot save itself. 
And the truth is, every single one of us have impurities called sin. It's all the ways that we mess up and make mistakes and we miss the mark. And just like natural salt becomes impure and can't save itself, we, the spiritual salt of the earth, we can't save ourselves when we become impure. Now, here's what that means. That we can't do it ourselves, so that means we need to have an outside source to do what we cannot do ourselves. Well, 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 and 10, thank God, says that God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice. Why? To take away our sins. In other words, to take away our impurities. So here's the truth, that the only way that you and I can be the salt of the earth in the kingdom with our impurities is because of our king. The only way that we can actually step into this God-given identity that we are the salt of the earth is only through Jesus. And Jesus says, Queen City Church, you are the salt of the earth. And then he says this in verse 14. He says, you are also the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And if salt makes everything better, light makes everything brighter. And he says, hey, you want to know why you're created, why you're born to make things better and brighter. Now, I grew up in, uh, in the Middle Tennessee area, a very small town, and uh, about 45 minutes northwest of Nashville. And, uh, but I also grew up in church, and I grew up in old school church. I don't know, maybe that's your story, is that you grew up in old school church. And, um, and one of the things that we did is that every single summer, we had what we called vacation Bible school. VBS for short. Come on, how many of you were a VBS kid back in the day? All right. How many of you are like, what in the world is VBS? Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I grew up and we had, we had what we call Vacation Bible School, which I still think is the worst uh, church creative name ever. It is the worst. <laughs> so what should we call this? Uh, what, would, what would kids really love? Okay, vacation, yes, Bible school, boo. You know, it's like, no, okay. So we had VBS, and, and every single VBS, we would always sing this song, This Little Light of Mine. How I many you know that song where you stick out your, stick out your little light? Come on, like E.T. <laughs> you, you stick it, and you'd sing, This little light of mine. Help me. I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine. I'm gonna, I'll sing it loud and proud. This little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. My church would go, oh, yeah. <laughs> Second verse would be like, hide it under a bushel. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. Don't hide that thing under that bushel. We don't do that. And then the, the third one would be like, don't let Satan it out. Yeah, that was always my favorite, too. But we sing this song, This Little Light of Mine. And this song actually comes from this part of the Bible, 
where Jesus says, you are the light of the world, that you were created and called and made by God to shine. And that's just not at church. That's everywhere you go. Like at your job, you are light. In your office, you are light. In your cubicle, you are light. In your business, you are light. In your meetings, you are light. On your Zoom calls, you are light. At your school, you are light. In your family, around your friends, you are light. In your neighborhood, in the apartment complex that you live in, you are light. Everywhere you go, at the gym, the grocery store, restaurants, coffee shops, everywhere, you are made and created by God to be light. You are not, listen, just a normal Christian who goes to church, works a nine to five, pays some bills, binges Netflix at night, and then lives the same week on repeat over and over and over again. No, you are the light of the world, uniquely designed by God, called by Jesus to shine bright and light up the darkness everywhere you go. That is who you are. And I love what the message paraphrase says about the same exact verses. Here's what the message says, that you're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm gonna hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, on the count of three, say that last word with me, one, two, three, shine. That's who you are. You are made to shine. So if I were to wrap up these four verses from the greatest sermon of all time, if I were able to say, hey, this is my best summary of these four verses, this part of the Sermon on the Mount, it would be this. When Jesus says, you are salt and light in the Sermon on the Mount, he is declaring that the people in his kingdom are called to be distinct from the world around them. And if that distinction is lost, their effectiveness is lost. In other words, listen, salt does not do any good in a salt shaker and light doesn't do any good under a basket. So if you lose that distinction, your effectiveness is lost. But if that distinction is kept, they will make everything around them better and brighter. And Jesus says, guys, this is your identity. This is who I created you to be. You are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. That's who you are. And when you know who you are, you will know what to do. So the question is, what does that have to do with us right here, right now? See, again, remember, this whole message about the kingdom, rolling out these, these regulations and these responsibilities in the kingdom, everything is about repentance. And so when you look at these verses and we think about what this is, it literally, this part of the Sermon on the Mount is literally just asking this question, have I put my identity in anything outside of what Jesus says? In fact, put that on the screen. Have I put my identity in anything outside of what Jesus has said? 
because the whole thing, this whole verse, it's all about that. See this, this part of the greatest sermon of all time really is an invitation to repent and to change your mind about where you have put your identity. Because if you ask yourself that question, have I put my identity in anything outside of what Jesus says? Then the invitation from Jesus today is very simple. It's just, hey, repent, change your mind. Why don't you put your identity in who I say you are? Not who the world says that you are, not who somebody said that you were, but let the one who designed you define you. Let the one that says, hey, like I made you. So I get to define you. And this is just simply an invitation to say, man, if there's anywhere in my life where I've put my identity in anything outside of what Jesus has told me, soul, that I'm the light, then it's just an invitation to change your mind. If it's saying, man, I've put my identity in all these other things. These four verses are just a beautiful reminder. It says, hey, you don't have to anymore. You can change your mind. That leads to a change in your direction. And that you can repent. If there's anything in your life that we can pray for, please visit queencitypeople.com slash prayer. For the latest updates on our church, follow us on social media at queencitypeople or visit queencitypeople.com.